Good morning to each of you. It's a blessing to look out into the faces of God's people. Welcome. Send a special welcome to the visitors. I pray that you could worship the Lord with us. You may think it doesn't sound like me up here, and it doesn't because I don't feel quite like me. But I appreciate your forbearance. I had uh, an immune response to something this week, and it's I'm a lot better than what I was. And I hated to ask Ellis to take something last minute, and so if you can bear with me, and we can worship the Lord together and uh, be be edified. The song we just sang. Seal me and make me pure as thou art. What a summary of the Sunday school lesson we think of putting on Christ. And I think we could discuss that for days and weeks. And yet there's aspects that we we know, we live out. We come back, we reevaluate. How am I doing here? Am I speaking kind words? Am I am I acting out of love or out of anger? We have to take stock of where we are. And that's part of brotherhood as well. How many of you would remember the message from last Sunday? What was the title? Those of you that were here. Don't be afraid to say it. Prophesying, right? The title was The Spirit of Prophecy, but yes, on prophesying. And I had to, to think of that as I was pondering, meditating on many different things this week. And two of the verses that Brother Jeff read, I'd like to, to reread. In 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25, says, but if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God, and report that God is in you of a truth. And Brother Jeff asked the question, he said, what would it take for us to fall on our faces as we encounter God? And I've I've thought a bit about that. That was an Old Testament. Many times people met with God, an angel, something, and they fell on their faces. And here it says that people should be able to come into our assemblies and fall on their faces before God. Because there's an encounter with God. If we continue reading there in 1 Corinthians 14, I'd like to read verses 26 to 33. It continues, how is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, 
and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak, two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. I think evidently there was a problem in the church of disorderly conduct. And a lot of people wanted to say something and they were running over each other. And it was probably not a real pretty picture. Confusion. And he's bringing some directives of of clarity and how God would have us to operate. But I had, to, I had to ask myself a question as I pondered these verses, and that was, are our services too peaceful? Do you understand? Do you follow my thought? What would it take for us to fall on our faces? What does it mean to prophesy? And I'm going to let Jeff take care of that. He said part two's coming sometime probably. So he can, he can go into that further. But I just had to think of of again as we meet together what a blessed privilege we have to share with each other. And I have a question and that is what is and each of you can, can think of this, what is my responsibility as we assemble together? You know, I had a responsibility this morning. My, name, my, my initials were on a calendar, and I had, to, I had to face that, had to deal with it. Brother David had his name on a calendar. He had to teach this morning. Uh, it's responsibility. But you know, if your name isn't on the calendar, what happens? I know what happens to me. Can. I can get lazy. I can get, well, I got to go to church. I want to go, but but yet, is there that, that weight of, being part of the body and seeing how we can minister to each other. Just some things to think about. Today is Father's Day. And I would like to open it up here for a bit. If any of you would have something that you would like to share, a word of appreciation for for a father, whether it be a physical father or a spiritual father. And along with that, perhaps you have a word of, of edification or admonition for us as fathers here today. Because as we as we look at our experiences, 
I believe that gratitude is an act of worship and expressing thanks and also the, this idea of, of a word of, of edification. So I'd like to open up. Would any of you have anything you would like to, to say along those lines? While you're thinking, I would like us to sing a song. Church hymnal number 343. It's in the other book too, but I know 343 because that's where I heard it so often. And some of you may know my thoughts. Could you lead that, Brandon? song is a reminder of someone in my life. I don't know how many of you know who that someone is. Brother Eli was a spiritual father to me. 
special time in my life that he cared and he expressed it. And I want to honor him for that. Thank you for that. Having a father that read Bible stories faithfully.
Thank you, Tim, for sharing that a father that's heart was toward God and cared and yet committed his children to God. I don't expect all of you to share. Any of you else have something on the tip of your tongue? Hopefully at least it's good to stir your thoughts. We'll see how, how time goes. I may open it up again later, but I'd have a few a few thoughts to share now from some reading I was doing and and it was interesting how how it fit together with some of my thoughts. Reading in Second Samuel this week and some very, very sad accounts. Chapter 13 and 14, primarily, up through chapter 18. And I just, I, I may read a few verses, I may tell a bit of the account, just, just point out some observations here. This is the life of David and his family. David was a father. I know his fatherhood was a lot different than any of us experience. He was the king. He had multiple wives. I don't know how often he saw his children, but we know they interacted, and he had a responsibility. But in, in 2 Samuel 13, it's the account of Amnon and his forcing of his sister Tamar. And following that, it says in verse 21, it says, when David heard of the, all these things, he was very wroth. That's as far as it goes. Now, the Septuagint says, and King David heard of all these things and was very angry, but he did not grieve the spirit of his son Amnon because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. He knew he should do something, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. This wasn't a child. This was a grown man. And yet, he had a responsibility, I believe. But this event rankled in the heart of Absalom for two years until he took things into his own hands and killed his brother. Why? I mean, we see a failure in, in the life of David to, to take care of a situation. 
but there's also, as I thought of, of these things, and, and we, we've talked about this, it was mentioned in Sunday school not long ago, I believe, but how, how many godly men in the Old Testament were failures as fathers. And we think right off of perhaps Samuel and his sons that he made judges. Eli was the priest, and yet he condoned things in his children. That When the prophet came to him, I think that it's inferred there that he knew right well what was happening. And he refused to, to put a halt to it, refused to address it. failures of fathers. Continuing here with the, the account of, of David's family, you know, following the murder of, of Amnon, Absalom fled to his, says the, to Gesher, and I don't know, for a long time I didn't realize, well, wh- where was that? Some foreign country. Well, that was his grandfather, was this Talmai, king of Gesher, it says that Absalom fled there, and David mourned for his son every day. I think that was for Amnon. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there for three years. And the soul, it says in chapter 13, 39, it says, The soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, seeing he was dead. He knew that he needed to be punished, judged, disciplined, whatever you want to say. Someone else did it. It was done. And now he wants Absalom back home. And yet he wouldn't reach out and tell him to come back. And Joab contrived a a scheme, whether he knew that David wanted Absalom back or he himself wanted him. He got David to to tell him to go get him. He used a a woman coming and bringing a a story of her own. It says, Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom home. This was at the request of the king. But in verse 24 of chapter 14, it says, And the king said, Let him turn in to his own house. Let him not see my face. So Absalom turned into his own house and saw not the king's face. Now what? Here was a really confused man, this man Absalom. Was he good or bad for killing Amnon? Was he loved by his father or hated by his father? See a picture of real upheaval, of real confusion. In chapter 14, Verses 28 to 33, I'll read those verses here. It says, So Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to have sent to have sent him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. Therefore he said unto his servants, See, Joab's field is near mine, and he hath barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom into his house and said unto him, Wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? And Absalom said, answered Joab, Behold, I sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king, to say, Wherefore am I come from Geshur? 
It had been good for me to have been there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. So Joab came to the king and, the, and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. He wanted clarity. He wanted to know where he stood. But all this perhaps ambiguity, this confusion led Absalom to finding his worth in the affirmation of others because he couldn't trust his father. And we all know what happened. Absalom found a lot of affirmation and he rebelled and actually took off after his father to kill him. Absalom was killed. And following that, David's response is in chapter 18, verse 33. It says, And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, had would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. Joab came and warned David that if he didn't quit mourning the death of his enemy, he would soon have no subjects. But see, David here had lost his opportunities. He had to make the best of the situation and go on. You know, many of us here are fathers some young fathers, some with very young children. Some of us have older children. Some of you, the children are married and gone. We can't change the past, but we can press on and we can learn from our mistakes and from the mistakes of others, from the admonition and edification of others. And by God's grace, we can be better fathers. I'd like to look at, uh, at three aspects of, of discipline that I'm reminded of as I look at this at David's life and, and the idea of, of being a father and disciplining children. While they apply to parents, they are also a reflection of how God works with us. All of us can, can learn from these, these things. The first that I would like to, to highlight, and that is timely discipline. We see there that David failed to do anything and the repercussions of that. Proverbs has a fair bit to say about Discipline, And it says in chapter 19, verse 18, Chasten thy son where there is hope, and let the, not thy soul spare for his crying. So while there is hope, maybe I need to interject here. This is the third Father's Day message that I have preached in a row. 
And maybe it's because God knows that I need help as a father more than any of you. So understand that I'm preaching to myself and things that I'm learning, things that I'm trying to learn. Not that I have all the answers. Timely discipline. In chapter 13, verse 24, it says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him be times. That word be times is often translated seek early or prompt. The New King James says, he who, But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Timely discipline. It's interesting, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11, it says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Discipline is hard work. And sometimes the temptation is to ignore the situation or at least let it go for a while. I'm too busy right now. Maybe it'll rectify itself. The Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. We must take the time and take the responsibility to discipline in a timely fashion. Another example in David's life I came across, and that is in 1 Kings 1, 5 and 6, it says this. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, what hast thou, why hast thou done so? It seems like he was a very undisciplined man as well that David never called him down for what he knew him to be doing that was not appropriate. He says he was also a goodly man, and he was Absalom's brother. But pointing out that evidently there were numbers of areas that David was, was lax in timely discipline. Let us take a lesson from that to apply. Another aspect, and that is loving discipline. Proverbs 3, verse 12 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. That's not a picture of an angry father venting frustration on a child. The discipline is focused on the good of that child, delighting in that child. It's not just to make me look good or make my life easier. But you know, an easier life is the effect of proper loving discipline. Because Proverbs 29, 17 says, Correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. You know, as children, it can be hard to, hard to understand. 
even when it is done properly. But we as fathers delight in and therefore discipline in love. There's been numerous times where I go to discipline a child and Well, we've, we've memorized Proverbs 3. So, why does daddy need to discipline you? What's it say here? Even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. And I can tell them, it's because I delight in you. And they know the verse. And sometimes they have to, they have to smile even though they don't want to. Because it's truth if it's done in truth. God has some words for a church in Revelation 3.19. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Timely discipline, loving discipline. And I would say, thirdly, restorative discipline. Discipline is about bringing restoration of peace in the conscience and peace in, in relationships. A very interesting phrase that jumped out at me in, in 2 Samuel 14, this woman that was speaking to David in verse 13 She says, and the woman said, Wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king doth speak this thing as one which is faulty, in that the king doth not fetch home again his banished. For we must needs die, and are all as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again, neither doth God respect any person. Yet he devise, yet doth he devise means that his banished will not that his banished be not expelled from him. That his banished be not expelled from him. And I think that several different people think that evidently alluded to the cities of refuge and the death of the high priest. So when someone killed someone, accidentally they could run to the city of refuge and they were safe there until the death of the high priest, then they could go back home. But do you see the beauty there? God has made a way. God deviseth means that his banished, those that, that have sinned, do not need to be expelled. They're not cast off forever. I see a picture of that forgiveness of God. Yes, there needs to be chastisement sometimes, that discipline. And as God works in each of our hearts, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 5 to 11, <clears throat> excuse me, 
says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them which are exercised thereby. Most of us don't line up for chastisement, for correction. Even when we know we've done wrong, we tend to want to run and hide. The purpose of chastisement, correction, discipline is to bring about a life of peace, a life of purity, a life of holiness. Do we have that goal for our children to have lives of peace? Pleasing to God. And as God brings things into our lives that are painful to correct us, do we see God's plan to restore us, to restore our conscience, to restore our relationship with Him and with others? That's my challenge for myself and to each one that has responsibility as a parent. Timely and discipline, loving and discipline, and with a restorative goal in discipline. Because 3 John 1 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. May God give us the wisdom and grace to be faithful in our responsibilities, to be open to God as he works with us. Would any of you have anything you would like to share at this point? Had time to think. Do we, are we seen as running to God, embracing His working in our hearts or, or chafing and, and running from God?